1: Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about some of my favorite herbs to tincture and some herbs not to tincture or that probably aren't going to do much for you if you tincture them and a little bit of other tidbits to kind of finalize this little tincture making series. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Well, today, I'm happy to be kind of rounding the bend here in this tincture-making series of podcasts, and as I was talking in the last episode, I realized that I really kind of wanted to talk about some of the herbs that I always like to have on hand, to always tincture and have on hand, and so quickly go over those. All of these herbs, I have gone into much more detail in past episodes, so I will also offer those um, episode numbers to you uh, as I talk about each herb, so you can also kind of dive deeper if you're interested in learning more about each of those herbs, or if you maybe you've already listened to the podcast episodes but you want a little refresher. But I also want to talk a bit about uh, a couple things that I left off that I was thinking about. So I want to talk about uh, making a tincture tea. So how you kind of strain out your tincture um, and what you can do with the leftover mark. And then also a little bit more about dosing and uh, formulating. So... To start out, I want to talk about a tincture tea. And I'm sure I have mentioned it in the past, but it's kind of uh, a fun way to get the most out of your tincture making, to get the most tincture out of the mark at the end. So the mark is the plant material that has been macerating or soaking in your tincture solution or menstruum. So, you know, we make the tincture, we let it sit ideally for either a moon cycle or six weeks or any time longer than that is fine. And then we strain it out. And so, I, as a home herbalist, I don't have a tincture press. So, there's a couple ways that I like to strain um, my tinctures. And I like to use a the ceramic, a ceramic coffee drip filter and put that on top of a jar that, or you could even put it on top of a measuring, a liquid measuring cup that with a spout that pours. If you're using a small amount and the jar is too small to put a big ceramic drip coffee filter on top of, and then I'll line that coffee filter with a flour sack towel that I've cut a square out of, of non-bleached, it's Usually 100% cotton, organic cotton is great. And I'll put that in the... So it's a nice loose weave, those flower sack towels. They're usually what what you might dry glassware with to keep any water stains off of glassware. And then I'll pour the tincture and the mark through that lined drip filter. And most of the tincture will just automatically drip and strain into the... Jar, and then I pick up the fabric with the mark inside it and I twist it and squeeze out any leftover tincture. And that's usually suitable uh, if you have flowers or leaves or uh, berries. And but with roots and seeds, sometimes, but mostly roots, I find it's very hard to you know, it'll absorb a lot of the alcohol solution, alcohol water solution, the menstruum of the tincture, and it's really hard to squeeze all of that actual out of the root because it's such tough material. So there's a couple other ways that you can do a, a trick that I learned from Juliet Blankispore is you can put that either the just the mark with the saturated mark or the actual whole fabric and the mark inside a potato ricer, which is essentially, you know, something that you'd put cooked potatoes in that you'd squeeze it through. And it has little holes that would really kind of finely mash the potato for really finely mashed potatoes. Um, But it makes a great tincture straining or a hand tincture press. And so I love that tip. Uh, So that can be really handy, especially if you're just doing a small amount of herbs because you can really only fit maybe a cup of herbs in that uh, tincture press. So sometimes you can do multiple rounds. And that also works well with berries too um, or any of your flowers and seeds. But sometimes the roots will still contain a lot of that menstruum or the actual tincture within them, even after straining and even after pressing with the potato ricer. And so the next step would be to take that saturated roots and to make a tincture tea with them. And I especially like to do that with the echinacea root that I tincture. Uh, Dandelion root, burdock root would all work well too. And so I will basically take that saturated root and put it in a jar, usually a quart jar, depending on how much root I have or how much tincture I made, probably about the same amount of jar space per that I made a tincture of. So if I made a quart of echinacea tincture, I would make a quart of tincture tea. I put the root back in the jar and then I would pour boiling hot water into the jar on top of the root and put a lid on it and just let it sit. And essentially that water just kind of helps to pull out the tincture. From the herb, if it's a sm- if it's you know strong strong enough, it will actually last for quite a while. It just has to have about twenty five percent alcohol in it to be shelf stable. You can also store it in the fridge, and then usually like for the first round of needing, say echinacea tincture, I will just use the tincture tea, and you just use larger amounts than you would a tincture. Um, You can dilute it and you can add it to tea, you can add it to uh, juice, or you can just drink it straight. And it's just a really great way to get the rest of your tincture out of your herb material. And it works well. So that's the tincture tea. And then a quick note on making tinctures. I know I mentioned it last episode, but as far as making them as simples where you do one herb per tincture, where, you're, where when you make an herbal tincture, you don't put three or four herbs in a formula and then pour your menstruum over those herbs. Instead, you do four, three or four individual tinctures, all with single herbs in them. Those are simples is what they're called. And then if you want to formulate, then you have a lot more freedom to do that after you're done straining your tinctures when they're all done, then you can really know like how much of each herb or what ratio of each herb you want to have in your formula. And it's changeable that way you're not locked in. Plus then you also have the ability to just work with each individual herb if you want. I know um, some people believe or teach that it's you get more synergy if you tincture the formula all together. And I guess that could make sense if you're doing dried herbs, because then all the herbs are going to be together. You're not using fresh herbs, but if you're using fresh herbs and tincturing them all together, they'd all have to be ready for tincturing at that same time. And so sometimes the herbs you might be working with are going to be ready at different times for tincturing. So that's one setback from always feeling like you have to tincture your formulas together at the same in the same jar. And maybe there is added synergy of all the herbs kind of being tinctured all together and all extracted at the same time. I could see I could see that, but I also just want to lean on the synergy within each herb and all the constituents and the complexity that each herb has is, I think enough complexity and enough synergy in each tincture that that that's plenty personally I think. So don't feel like you have to. You can always play around with it and see what you think like if you can form, you know, do a dry herb formula if you have, you know, three or four herbs that you like working with, I think it would be pretty cool to see the difference if you were to take say if you liked working with burdock root, dandelion root and yellow dock root all at the same time in the same formula then you could take those three roots and you could harvest them all at the same time and tincture them together all at the same time and then you could tincture them each individually and then add that tincture add those three tinctures together and see what the difference would be and then you could also do that same thing with dried herbs and see what the difference would be as well, the dried roots versus the fresh roots. And you can be your own judge, but just know that there's all those different ways that you can uh, tincture and just see which, which you resonate with the most. So now I want to just briefly touch on, you know, thinking about what specific herbs we would want to be tincturing Uh, This summer, as we go through the summer, or, you know, on what herbs we probably wouldn't necessarily tincture. So number one on my list that I always make sure I tincture every year is yarrow flowers. And you can put some leaves in there, too. But I wait for the wild white yarrow to be in bloom, and it's the white yarrow that you want, not the colored um, cultivars of yarrow. And just make sure it has a nice strong scent to it. And yarrow has, like, I think all of the different types of quote-unquote poisonous constituents that plants can have. The volatile oils, the glycosides, the alkaloids, resins. It has them all. So it makes a really great tincture. There's nothing wrong with yarrow tea as well. But yarrow tincture, it's just super handy. It's easy to work with. You can use it as bug repellent. You can use it as a dentifrice for brushing your teeth and tightening your gums and fighting infection in your mouth. You can work with it to, you know, if you are dealing with a flu or some sort of infection, you can work with it for wound care. I mean, it just has so many benefits. So, yarrow, number one, always have that on hand. And you can learn a lot more about yarrow in episode 27 of the Healthier podcast. I have a whole episode about it. Another herb that I always like to make a tincture of every year is hypericum flowers. And you can put some leaves in that as well. Hypericum is most commonly known as St. John's wort. And I really love the name St. Joan's wort for it. I actually always also make an infused oil of the fresh hypericum flowers. But you really do need, for both the tincture or the oil, you need the fresh plant material. It's not something that you can make from dried. You could um, make a dried yarrow tincture, I guess, but it's so much better if it's fresh. But with the Hypericum, the St. John's wort, St. Jones wort, St. J's, as some people call it, like that herb has to be tinctured fresh because some of the really important constituents just dissipate when it's dried. So and that's what you know you have a really nice remedy if in the end it has a really deep red color to it. And when you're tincturing it, it really is just kind of like a magic trick because It's great to do with kids, too, because within, you know, 10 minutes of pouring the 100-proof vodka over the flowers, it will just start. You can see it just begin to extract this, like, blood red color. It's so beautiful. And that is an herb that I just love having on hand for fighting viral infections it's really nice for mild depression, relieving mild depression. It's really, really effective against herpes and cold sores, canker sores. It is really beneficial if you have like really sore muscles from overwork or from exercise. It can really help to calm those, both taking the tincture internally and massaging the oil externally. That's St. Joan's wort. I have episode 26 in the Healthier podcast that's all about that herb. So definitely check that out. I love that episode. I love the herb. And actually, that's the tincture that I've been working with the past couple days. And it's been very effective. So I somehow started getting this canker sore inside uh, my mouth right um, on the gums, right underneath my bottom front teeth. And it's really small, but it's in a place that is so sensitive when eating. It was really painful to eat. And I waited too long. I should have, as soon as I start feeling it, felt it, I should have immediately gone to my hypericum tincture, which is what I always do. Like if I start, you know, if you just start getting a cold sore, it's just like that, that first tingling sensation. Uh, That's when you want to start using it ideally, and it will usually stop it in its tracks. But I kind of... I had run out of the bottle that I had, and so I had hypericum tincture, but I hadn't strained it yet, and I was like, oh, it's fine. You know, I just kept going with my day my life or whatever and then by the second day of having the canker sore I was like okay I got to find that tincture dig it out I didn't even strain it honestly I just poured some of the tincture off the top and that's how I've been working with it I still haven't even strained it yet but what I did at first when it was really really sore is I took the tincture I put a little bit in the bottom of a shot glass and then I put some water in that shot glass as well and I Put it directly on top, like I held it directly on top of where the canker sore was. And at first, because it was so sore and irritated, I didn't want to put the vodka directly on it, although I think it would have been fine and maybe even better. Um, so that's what I did at first. And then the second time, so with tinctures, you really the more frequently you can do use them, especially in an acute situation like this, the better they work. It did kill the pain. Uh, Right away. But then when it started to hurt again, the pain started coming back. I was like, okay, time for another dose. And, you know, listen to the body, decide how the dosing works for you, especially in acute situations. And so that time I just, I was like, you know, I'm just going to try it with neat, just with the straight tincture. Um, So I just poured a little bit, again, just off the top of my unstrained tincture jar into a little shot glass. And I took that and, again, just put it, held it kind of um, at the bottom of my lip inside, which is right kind of where the canker sore, but it's on the gum part, and just held it. And it didn't hurt at all. Um, the the alcohol coming in t- contact with the canker sore did not help at all. It hurt at all. It helped a lot. <laughs> um, so the pain went away immediately but you know again after a couple hours it was the pain came back so I just I did that multiple times you know I did it before I went to bed I did it upon waking um, and it's feeling so much better within 24 hours of working with the hypericum now the trick also with working with herbs is you're kind of like oh like it feels so much better it's not totally gone Maybe I could just stop, you know, working with the herb, and from here on out, it'll just kind of take care of itself. And I think that, especially in acute situations like this, like even though it's feeling so much better, but it's still there. Like, just keep going with the tincture until it's totally gone, because you don't want it to give it a chance to kind of flare up again if you know my immune system isn't being able to keep up with it. So. And then I also have to look at this as like, well, you know, why is, why do I have this sore? Like, is my immune, so am I stressed? Is my immune function, you know, kind of low for some reason? So then what else can I do? Maybe it's time to work some astragalus root back into my nourishing infusion routine is another thing that I'm thinking. Back to St. John's wort, St. John's wort, this is an herb that is not going to be, really the best tea herb from my understanding. Yes, some people do work with it as tea, um, maybe in small amounts or in formulas where it's, you know, just kind of part of a formula of tea. It's not a big deal. Um, but it's not, it's ideally, because some of its constituents are already gone from it, some of the best constituents. So that's why, you know, yarrow, yeah, that makes a good tea too. But usually when we need it, it's like we don't want to have to brew a tea. We're either feeling really sick or we have an injury or we want to use it on a daily basis for things. So and that's why it's nice to have that as a tincture. Plus the tincture really extracts and contains and um, preserves the volatile oils, which are, going to be the more antimicrobial aspect of the yarrow. Same with the St. Jones wort, that bright red color, I can't remember. I Hopefully I have it in the episode 26, but it's either the hypericin or the hyperforin or one of those. Um, but it's really, really an effective part of the medicine. And so we don't get that in the tea from my understanding. And from also from my understanding, there's more issues with working with the dried plant, especially in capsule form, with having side effects or potential interactions with pharmaceutical drugs. Um, so this is an herb where a lot of people say, you know, if you're going to be taking it, just know that it supports the liver function, supports the liver function so well that it could Possibly allow you to clear pharmaceutical drugs faster than you're meant to. And so it could affect um, how your body is working and being affected by those drugs. And so that's just generally what people say with St. Joan's wort. My understanding is that people that work with the fresh plant tincture solely. Um, have not experienced that, but... That's out there for you to explore further. If you're really interested in St. John's Wort, definitely check out episode 26 of my podcast, The Healthy Herb, and then check out the St. John's Wort Conference that's going to be happening in May. It's an online conference that's all about Hypericum, lots of different speakers talking about it. So I think you could probably just Google St. John's Wort or Hypericum conference, and it should come up. Check that out. Okay, next herb is lemon balm. And that I talked about in episode 38 of the Healthy Herb Podcast. And lemon balm is one of these plants that, again, those volatile oils dissipate, those aromatic oils, that lemon part of the lemon balm dissipates really quickly when dried. And so fresh tea is great, um, but you can't really necessarily take it in large amounts easily. Um, unless you have a lot of fresh lemon balm growing, which is easy to do because it can grow a lot <laughs> given the right circumstances. It can you know fill out a garden bed pretty easily if you give it the time and space to do so. But that's only in a certain time of year, right? So in the wintertime, it's going to be, especially if you're in northern climates, it's going to be a lot harder to have fresh lemon balm on hand uh, or impossible. And... The dried lemon balm, you know, if it's been dried for a couple days, then it's not such a big deal. But if it's been dried for six months and now you're wanting to make tea with it, it just doesn't, there's a little bit of that lemony, but it's just not as strong. So if you're able to tincture the lemon balm, then those volatile oils are captured and preserved and you can uh, concentrate them. And I've even heard of people making a double lemon balm tincture where, you know, you would take... Chopped up fresh lemon balm as much as you can, put it in the jar, cover it with 100 proof vodka, let it sit for four to six weeks, strain it out, and then take that tincture menstruum and do the same thing, but with that tincture menstruum. So you'd get more lemon balm, chop it up, put it in a jar, and then take the tincture, the lemon balm tincture and cover that fresh herb again with the same menstruum. And cover it, put it in a tight lid. So it's concentrated that much more. Um, Something to play around with uh, if you are interested or just a plain lemon balm tincture. Lemon balm has some really nice, it's a mint family plant. So it has a lot of the same benefits that mint family plants have. It's very calming and soothing to the nervous system, especially if you're feeling kind of edgy or Um, fried or frazzled. It has some antispasmodic properties, helps you to digest. So if you have any cramping, either both uterine cramping, intestinal cramping, any sort of cramping like that, it can help to ease that. Most plants with aromatic oils can do that. Uh, Applying it topically to uh, cold sores and canker sores could also be of benefit as well. So that's lemon balm. And again, you know, maybe the tincture is the better way to go with the lemon balm or an infused oil for a variety of reasons. Check out episode 38. I actually love that episode because I also talk about bees in that episode because it's a great bee herb. Echinacea root is also really good herb to have on hand as a tincture or to make a tincture with. It definitely, I think, is more effective than an echinacea root tea. And the echinacea root that is more commonly grown in people's gardens um, and that is less endangered is the echinacea purpurea. It's From my understanding, the root needs to be worked with fresh like, to really offer the best benefit, the most active constituents that are going to Uh, enhance immune function. And so you can tincture the echinacea root when it's freshly dug and chopped very tiny into a jar, and it, it makes a beautiful tincture. Delicious, very tingly on the tongue, very, very effective. And echinacea purpurea Dried root in a tea form or a decoction is going to be slightly tingly, but it's really not going to be as effective as a medicine. So that's one that we definitely want to tincture. Episode thirty-five of the Healthy Herb has is a whole episode about echinacea, and I actually make an echinacea tincture with the dried root of the augustifolia species, which is the one echinacea that you can make a tincture with the dried root of. And you just want to make sure you're sourcing that ethically, that it's grown instead of harvested from the wild because it is an endangered plant in the wild. Probably more from, well, because it was super popular and over harvested, but also loss of the land that it grows on, these open prairie lands, which are all now monocropped farms mostly, is kind of where the echinacea loves to grow, the Augustifolia. And then, so other herbs that I really like to have on hand in a tincture form are those bitter roots. So, dandelion or burdock or yellow dock, I think are all really nice roots to have on hand or one, one or all. And so yellow dock is episode 45 and burdock is episode 44. While well, there's a spring roots from harvest to health, that was episode 14, There's the Spring Cleansing the Liver and Bitter Roots, which was episode 13. Episode 4, Connecting with Ancestors Through Plants, and I talked about dandelion. And so we know that, yes, we can drink bitter teas because the bitters are extracted into water, but they're also nicely extracted into alcohol. And the whole process of the bitter working, those bitter constituents, those bitter alkaloids, On the tongue, we just have to taste them. So all we need is a little bit of tincture or a little bit of tincture mixed with a beverage or a cocktail or a mocktail um, or in a little shot glass with some water is a great way to enhance digestion, to enhance liver functioning. And you can check out any of those episodes that I mentioned, and I'm sure I get way more into how and why bitters work. They are pretty fascinating and it's a really cool topic. I I think I did have an episode specifically on bitters and I remember it not being a very popular one, I think because people see the word bitter and they're like, ooh, cringe. (laughs) I'm not into it. I don't wanna know it. I don't wanna taste it. I don't wanna deal with it. But historically, bitter foods and herbs were... The dominant herbs that we could... And foods that we... Oh, yeah. Herbal bitters, episode 37. They are herbs that really historically our bodies evolved to work with because... A lot of wild plants have bitter constituents in them as a protection from being eaten. And so as humans, for us to survive, we both had to be able to cope with eating bitter foods, but also we had to cope with the poisons that are bitter in nature. That would affect us negatively. And so our liver and our digestive system is triggered by the bitter taste because it's a warning to the system as to say, hey, you just tasted bitter. There are things in this natural world that are bitter that are dangerous to us. Therefore, we better be ready. We better be ready to handle them, to digest them, to denature them, to get rid of them. And so it really does trigger the whole system of metabolism and digestion and elimination. And that's why there are many alterative herbs which really function to support these systems and the action of these systems of metabolism, digestion, digestion elimination by being bitter and by kind of waking up the system to that. So it's it's kind of interesting, I find. And that doesn't mean that all bitter herbs are poisonous, because they're not. They can actually be very nutritious. And maybe they're so nutritious that the herbs are like, I know that all you animals out there want to eat me because I'm so nutritious. So I got to make myself unappealing. So I'm going to be super bitter and unappealing for your taste buds so that you don't want to eat me. But we have made workarounds. We know how to cook our food so that we can denature a lot of those bitter constituents. And we also learned how to grow food and we learned how to grow food that wasn't bitter. We, we learned how to grow big food that is sweet and watery and full of carbohydrates. And not full of bitters. And I talk about that in an episode two. This is fun. I have so many episodes now that I've, I've talked about it all, folks. <laughs> not really. But uh, episode 63, why wild plants are important for health and how to easily get them into your diet is one place where I really talk about this concept. I will move on and I'll put all of these podcast episode suggestions in the show notes of this episode so that you can easily find them if you want to dig deeper. Another group of plants that are really important to tincture, if you want to work with them medicinally, are plants where we're really trying to get the resins out of them. Resins are not water-soluble, and you tend to really actually need a high-proof tincture to really extract them best. Even a 100-proof vodka might not be a high enough ratio of alcohol to water to extract them. So this is why, you know, you might want to look more toward 150 proof or 160 proof alcohol, which would be 80% alcohol to really be able to break down those resins if you want to ingest resins. But again, resins are plants protection. They tend to be pretty intense constituents and they can be pretty hard I think on the liver and kidneys, if you were to ingest a large amount of them over a long period of time, they usually have a lot of aroma, aromatic oils, terpenes, and whatnot in them. So, herbs that I'm thinking of would be cannabis, the resins in cannabis. That's why we use high alcohol uh, to concentrations to extract the medicine. If we are going that route, pine pitch you know, saps of tree, myrrh is a resin, frankincense, and really what resins really extract and kind of meld and meld with really well is oil and fat. And so, you know, versus water. So you're either going to go, if you're really trying to extract and make medicines with resins or resinous plants, then it's going to be a high proof tincture or it's going to be an oil or a fat and not a water tea. So those are some herbs that if you really want to experiment with tincture making, that's kind of a good realm to go through. And then herbs that you wouldn't necessarily want to tincture are going to be herbs that have, like, that are very poisonous because you're going to be concentrating the poisons unless that's your goal and you're going to be using drop doses and you know what you're doing. Um, But for the common everyday home herbalist, we're probably not going to be working with those or making medicines with those. Also, herbs that are really nutrient-dense, where we're really trying to get the minerals and the vitamins. These food-like herbs are not tincture herbs because... We're not going to get the minerals and vitamins extracted that well into the alcohol. And we're not going to want to consume large amounts of alcohol, even if we could extract the minerals and vitamins in them to get them. And the minerals and vitamins are going to extract really well into water and also vinegar and just cooking and eating. So that's going to be the better way to work with the nutrient-dense food-like herbs. Examples... <clears throat> would be, so comfrey root is an herb that I would not tincture because it has those pure alkaloids that are concentrated in the root, especially the fresh root. And again, we know that alcohol extracts and concentrates alkaloids, and that's not what we want to do if we are working with comfrey and we don't want to take a comfrey tincture internally. So I talk about comfrey in episode 31, but that would not be an herb that we would tincture. I do love to work with comfrey leaf in a water-based infusion, and I take that internally, and I feel very safe doing that. There's also the Comfrey Conference that you can check out, which has a huge amount of different speakers on this topic as well. Stinging nettle would be an example of a really nutrient-dense herb that, you know, you're not going to really get that much nutrition-wise from a stinging nettle tincture. It's just not, if you want, if you're taking nettle because you want the iron, you want the minerals, you want the healthy skin, hair, nails, all of that, that's great. You can do that from a water-based infusion or by cooking and eating the nettle, but you're not going to get that from a nettle tincture. Now, one reason why we might want to tincture fresh nettle leaf is because we're looking for the antihistamine property that from my understanding and I could be wrong but this is what I I learned at one point is actually found in the sting of the nettle and so within those trichome hairs that actually sting us the acid that stings us from the nettle has antihistamine properties ironically enough even though when we take them when we hit ourselves with them, they create a histamine reaction with these hives that we get from them. There's a lot to dive into there, but this is why people do tincture nettle fresh and work with it in the case of allergies or relieving allergy symptoms and why there is uh, freeze-dried nettle capsules available supposedly when you freeze-dry it. That also you know kind of maintains that constituent, which when you dry the nettle, you lose that constituent. So you're not going to get that from the, the, the liquid infusion, water-based infusion that is made from the dried nettle. However, working with stinging nettle infusions in a water-based extract do help to eliminate allergies It's just you might have to drink that nettle infusion on a weekly basis for a year before you really notice that difference. But it does have that ability on the long term by drinking it in the water-based infusion. So the other type of herb off the top of my head that we don't really get benefit from tincturing are herbs that are rich in these mucilaginous polysaccharides. Those mucopolysaccharides, I think they're called. So those are those mucilaginous, demulsant, emollient herbs that soothe and coat and heal and restore our mucous membranes, like uh, marshmallow root and marshmallow leaf, slippery elm bark, plantain, you know, some of these really classic, oh, violet leaf, you know, these really classic demulcent herbs are not going to, that mucilage is not soluble in alcohol, but is very soluble in water. So, and I kind of feel like it's something that you want to consume a lot of to really help heal, like a dropper full of, even if you could extract these mucopolysaccharides into a tincture well, You would have to drink a lot of that tincture to really get the benefit, and that's not really healthy. So we're going to be extracting those herbs into water and getting those polysaccharides, those mucopolysaccharides, that mucilaginous, slippery, slimy, also found in linden blossom, into water, and even doing a cold water extraction. Cinnamon is another herb that has those. And then consuming large amounts, in my mind, of that liquid, so that you really get a lot of that healing and repair to the mucous membranes of your body. And then, uh, you know, a great example of an herb um, that you can tink- that you can both tincture and do a water infusion with the different parts of it is the oat plant. And so, the oat straw, the actual straw and leaves. Of the oat plant, the oat straw is the, you know, the herb that you would buy is so full of nutrition and so many benefits, but you're not going to tincture it to get those benefits that it offers. You're not going to get the bone building benefits um, and like the long strengthening, supporting benefits, hormonal benefits probably from a tincture of the oat straw however if you take the milky oat top what was the flower and is becoming the seed and it's in the stage in between where you squeeze it and this milky resin is extract is like you can see it this like milky substance that is going to extract best in alcohol so, and that has very, sedi- you know, really strong sedative properties and soothing to the nervous system, very calming. So, that is a remedy that you would want to make with an alcohol extract, with a tincture. And you'd want to make it with the fresh plant material because it changes uh, very much. From my understanding, once it's dried, that milky substance kind of isn't as strong or available. So you'd want to tincture those oat tops. The milky oat tops is what it's called. You'd want to tincture those fresh. And a lot of times people will actually put them through the blender to make it more uh, easily extracted into the alcohol. And that would be... A remedy that you would use acutely like, oh, like I'm in pain or oh, like I am having an anxiety attack or oh, like my nervous system is in extreme need of soothing and calming. And so I need a stronger medicine that I can take acutely and like multiple small doses over time versus the oat straw. You make it from the dried straw, which is going to give you the calcium and the magnesium and all of these really supportive minerals that are also known to be very calming and soothing and help to build our skeleton and our skin and other parts of the plant that really help to support our hormonal health and our nervous system over the long period of time. So like for chronic nervous system support, then the nourishing infusion of oat straw is going to be very nice, but it's not sedative. It's not sedating. You're not going to fall asleep from drinking a quart of oat straw infusion, but you might fall asleep if you were to drink an ounce of um, milky oat top tincture, potentially, depending on how sensitive you are to it. So these are the thoughts that we think of when we're thinking like, am I gonna tincture this herb or not? These are kind of the thought processes to go through. And so nettle, I did an episode on nettle and that's episode number 15. And I think I still need to do an episode on oats and I think I still have to do an episode on marshmallow. So put those on the list for the future. And then I did talk a bit about dosing in the last episode, and I'll I'll talk a little bit more about it in this episode now before we end. I I have talked a little bit about it and really just frequent small amounts of tincture until you get the results that you want basically, is how I dose my tinctures. And we consider body size and we consider sensitivity. So how sensitive are we to things? Generally, you know, if you react really sensitive, if you have a very sensitive system based on other things, foods or pharmaceuticals or things that you take, how sensitive am I? Um, and if I am very sensitive, maybe I just need tiny drop doses. Am I so sensitive that really all I have to do is hold the tincture in the palm of my hand? You could be that sensitive. Some people, like me, I feel like I tend to not be super sensitive. I can t- take large amounts of tinctures or foods and not be easily, you know, heavily affected by them. So for me, like I can take larger doses of things with benefit. But I would say if you really want to, so that's one thing to consider about yourself. You also want to think about the herb that you're taking. So, you know, every herb is going to have a different dose. Is it a strong herb? Uh, Is it a poisonous herb? Is it a mild herb? Is it, you know, in what, what's the spectrum of the herb that you're taking? And, you know, always start small, if for no other reason than to conserve your tincture, especially if you're buying tinctures, because they are expensive. So smart, start small and see what tincture dose works for you. One way that you can test it out is one way that you can tap into your intuition is by using the hand palm of the hand trick where you have maybe you have a dropper that you're taking your tincture um, out of the bottle with. Again, I don't like storing my tinctures with rubber droppers as the top because I feel like they start tasting like rubber pretty quickly. But you can still have a rubber dropper on the side somewhere that you use to dose out your bot dose out your tinctures with, but cover your tincture with a normal lid. Put a drop, or count that you know, start with one drop at a time. Put them in your palm of your hand, and. Listen to your just like tune into your body and see when your body says stop and then suck that amount out of your hand. Or if you don't want to do that, then just try putting that amount of tincture in your mouth or in a small shot glass with some water, however you want to do it. That can be a way to kind of tune in and see what feels right to you if you if you feel like the energetics could work for you in that realm. The other way is just start small. Start with, um, you know, five drops and work your way up. Some herbalists only work in drop doses and they work more energetically with the herbs. Some herbalists work in teaspoon doses and everywhere in between really is very subjective for the most part, depending on the herb that you're working with. And then the other important thing, which I mentioned earlier, is consistency. You have to do it multiple times a day. Like every hour probably is not too much. Every couple hours, whenever you think of it. How are ways that you can think of it? You could put your tincture... Places where you're going to see it. You could have a couple different bottles. You could have one next to your toothbrush. You could have one next to your bed. You could have one next to your coffee maker. Where are places, you know, have some in your car. Where are things, places that you go every day that you, you know, are in a habit of doing something at that spot that you see your tincture bottle and you take a dose Also, you could put some in your water bottle and sip on it throughout the day or whatever tea you like to drink or your coffee or whatever it is that you drink on a daily basis, squeeze some tincture into it or pour a little tincture into it. So get into some sort of habit or if it's for an acute situation, like if you have a cough or runny nose or a canker sore or whatever, like anytime that you feel the pain or the symptom then take a tincture dose. Take a dose until, you know, every five to ten minutes until that symptom starts to deplete. You should, if you're using it for an acute situation, if this tincture, if this herb is going to work for you, then you should notice it working relatively quickly. That should conclude the series, the series on tincture making. And then I thought I would Continue with a story from my plant path. The next herb that I would say that I really allied with uh, was cannabis, probably 16, 17, 18 years old. uh, It really was an herb that I connected with very deeply. And it became um, an herb that I worked with, that I enjoyed, that I smoked on a daily basis uh, in my teens. And I feel like it really opened uh, my connection to the earth more. Like it really opened my mindset and allowed me to really tap in. And I have this one memory. I must have been seventeen years old, eighteen, like kind of that time where I had my driver's license. I was hanging out a lot. I was an only child. I was hanging out a lot by myself. I had some friends, but um, I still would spend a lot of time by myself and. I would like to go to bookstores with my driver's license and go check out, you know, um, the the local big bookstore. I don't even remember what it was now, but um, and I would go to I think like the self help section because I was like really exploring and interested in the world and spirit and how it all worked. And I remember like finding you know Starhawk's book. I think it was called The Spiral Dance or something along those lines. And um, really, you know, tapping into that book. And I lived in South Burlington, Vermont, in a housing development that was, in, that was unfortunately built on this beautiful old farm field, which was kind of the state of suburbia at that time, um, 30 years ago. And it was, you know, brand new housing development where the trees were all planted and super small. Um, But there was this beautiful field, like kind of all around the house, this wild uh, flower field, essentially hay field. And then back behind the development, there was a bike path that went up to a hill um, that kind of overlooked the, you could see the lake, Champlain a little bit off in the distance and some of the Adirondack hills. It was actually a really beautiful spot. And so I would either walk or ride my bike out back from my house, and there was a bench up at the top of that hill. And I re- have this clear memory of, you know, going up there one day and taking my Starhawk book and my cannabis and sitting up there on that bench all by myself and smoking a little cannabis and reading um, a meditation that was in that book that was really all about tuning in, basically, with your environment. Something about, you know, really listening to everything around you and feeling the air on your skin and the wind on your skin and the sun on your face and just, I mean, it was basically maybe the first time I'd ever meditated, potentially. I just remember it very clearly, and I know that the cannabis really helped to accentuate that moment in time. It was beautiful, and cannabis has been an ally of mine really ever since. Like it is, uh, it, it's such a intriguing art. I want to. I've wanted to do a podcast episode on that, but I just I feel so overwhelmed about it because it's there's so much to that plant um i say plant but it's you know thousands of different plants that have different personalities different plantalities you know that are all so different and unique but it's such a power plant that humans have allied with for a very long time and and it's it's really um amazing how it can Oh, you know, open our mind and our spirit and our soul. I think, um, especially when we're in a safe setting and we're outside or connecting with nature, it works really well, I think, in that realm. And I really think that cannabis was an herb that opened me to not only necessarily the natural world, because I feel like I was always open to it, but maybe more the magic of the natural world, the spirit of nature, and and allowing my spirit to connect with that spirit and realizing the oneness. Um, and in some ways, it was a gateway herb for me into herbalism, for sure. And next episode, I will also talk of another way how it was that's that. But I think that, because it is such a really powerful herb and plant and has such drastic effects on humans in so many ways. Um, But for me, at that age, it was really the psychedelic ways (laughs) that it affected me and really formed who I am today. There you have it. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for listening and tuning in once again to the Healthy Herb Podcast. Um I would be so grateful if you would take just a second or two to uh, rate the podcast. Um, if you're on if you're watching on Apple Pods, you can just scan down to the bottom of the first page of episodes and there's some stars and if you can hit whatever you feel so inclined to how you like the podcast, I would love a five star rating but whatever you are feeling, I honor that. Um, You just click it. It literally takes a second. I would so appreciate that. If you have learned something from me, if you've gleaned a specific thing, if I've inspired or informed you in any way that has really opened you to, to herbs, I would love to hear about it. In the review section you could you know take a second 65 seconds 10 seconds a minute whatever to just quickly write a review um, and I would love to hear from you Um, or you could even write a review and tell me what you want to learn about you know I started this tincture series because a listener asked me to talk about making tinctures I thought it was going to be a 10-minute answer to the question. I was like, oh, no, I actually have a lot more to say than 10 minutes. And then getting into it, I was like, oh, I actually have like three hours to say on tinctures. So hopefully I haven't bored any of you with this series. Um, and we will be moving on next time. You can find me at Soledago Herb School on Instagram, Facebook, or on my website. And thanks so much for listening. And I'm so happy it's spring. Let's get out there and start connecting with our green blessings, our green allies, the gifts of nature, uh, the other sentient beings out there that we share our ecosystem with. And let's learn how we can connect with them more deeply. So again, thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs.